Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Hello, welcome to this week's Best Bits of Luck on Sunday podcast, where me, Tom Stanley, is in the hot seat again, because Nick Luck is over in Ireland at the Dublin Racing Festival. Uh, this week, we will be talking to owner of Paisley Park, Andrew Gemmell, about a brilliant season he and that horse have had. Uh, we'll also be reflecting on the Grade 1 action from Sandown Park with Kim Bailey talking about vindication. Reflection on day one of the Dublin Racing Festival and Jim McGrath and Gary Witherford are in the hot seats alongside me talking about recent events in the world of horse racing. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Paisley Park is looking like a turn up here. Paisley Park is staying on in third. Paisley Park is now ranging up to have a crack. Paisley Park zooming care of all of us. Paisley Park staying on Stanley defies top weights to make a winning handicap debut. Paisley Park still finishes off and is getting there. Paisley Park over the top. Coleman pulls it out the fire. Paisley Park, he's won two this season. Can he make it three? And Paisley Park wins the JLT hurdle. I was told in no uncertain terms that it was 82 days till the stay is at Cheltenham. <laughs> so, so I think I know what we're doing next. Paisley Park, he's 8-10. Lance clear with Aidan Coleman. Paisley Park for Emma Lavelle, four from four this season in great style. It couldn't happen to a nicer person, it really couldn't. He's a humbling man and uh, and I'm, I'm thrilled for him, as thrilled as I am for us, I really am thrilled for him. And I'm pleased to say owner Andrew Gemmell joins us in the studio. Owner of Paisley Park, 39 you're saying, Andrew, 39 now until the, the Cheltenham Festival and, and the Thursday. 39 days and counting. Do you know the hours yet? <laughs> Not quite nearly. <laughs> about 940, I think it is. <laughs> Tell us about this journey that, uh, that you and the team and, and Aidan and, and Emma have been on with, with Paisley Park and how much has he surpassed your expectations? Well... Considering that he was virtually at uh, death's door after his first bumper uh, when he was second, it's been an amazing story. He he came back after that and after being treated with long long illness and came back won his novice at uh, Hereford and then was second to Mr. Whipped at Warwick and then the only time he's had difficulties was in last year's Albert Bartlett. The, when, as you remember, the ground on Gold Cup Day was very soft and very atrocious and he just didn't handle it and. I think he lost a shoe as well, and just things went wrong. But this season, it's just, we knew he was well handicapped. He started off at Aintree with a, a really good win and then moved on to the what was the fixed brush hurdle, another Betfair hurdle at um, Haydock. And as Aidan Coleman, he pulled it out of the fire there, came from a mile back and got up by half a length, which was brilliant. And then, and of course, the icing on the cake was the JLT because, you know, grade one for both Emma and Aidan, and first one I've ever been involved with, it was, it was brilliant. And then last week, as you know, at Cheltenham, he just zoomed clear, as the commentator said, and won by 12 lengths. I mean, 
Jimmy annihilated them last week, didn't he? Yeah, it was a special performance. I mean, um, it, it looked a very open renewal, and uh, some people that were doubting the form of the JLT, but uh, anybody that doubted it was made to look very silly indeed. Because, I mean, Aidan came back and said, I got there far too soon. I mean, it, he did just brick his ears once he, once he hit the front. He was very, very impressive. I'm not sure there was much he could have done. I mean, at, at this stage, he's just being ridden along ever so slightly, travelling about, about fourth or fifth, just turning in. And then he, he just takes off. And was there, was there a, a doubt in your mind, Andrew, of, of going back to Cheltenham, the scene of that Albert Bartlett where he'd been disappointing? You mentioned the ground. Was there any niggling doubt in your mind about the track? Um, I think it, well, I wanted it to be proven one way or the other that he either handled or he didn't. And I was pretty confident he would. And I think it was a really good idea of uh, Emma and Barry's because originally I thought we might just go straight from Ascot and go to Cheltenham in March. But I think that would have been very difficult to keep the horse on the boil for nearly 12 weeks so it's a great idea and to go to win the cleave like he did I think he proved he handled the course all right yeah ju- just a little bit um, it was rather inconvenient for you because you could have been in Australia but there you go was <laughs> it a tough decision um, no not once I knew that uh, I, was, I would have been there because I've had my tickets for the, the tennis I always stay out I usually <coughs> excuse me usually after cricket I stay out for the, for the tennis and uh, I had tickets for the final but uh, no, I was luckily enough, uh, a good friend of mine, his son was 18 uh, just in early January, so I was able to offload my ticket to him and, uh, and I was able to go to Cheltenham. And you were well rewarded with, with that success. Just tell us what, 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 what the thrill is like for you, the emotion like when you, you hear him storming clear up the line. We know you've got lots of pals around you telling you what's going on. It must be well, such a thrill. No, I don't, I don't like them to tell them too much. I like to hear the course commentary because in the past some people have said to me, oh, you're gonna, your horse is going to win, and it hasn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's, a, that's an interesting point because we've all been there, haven't we? You, you, know, you, you think you spot something travelling away quite nicely, so I, you, you'll rely on the impartial commentator. Yes, and I think you know, I've been too many times down that road, so I prefer to have the, have the course commentator. The good thing about racing is that... Um, Above most of the sports, you can rely on the course commentary. I mean, whereas at cricket, for instance, I have to take my radio with my, my earphone, and football, I've got a friend who commentates to me. You know, this racing, you just rely on the course commentary and you, you get the atmosphere perfectly. You've got a keen MCC member alongside you as well. You're an MCC member yourself, and I suppose with, with cricket, you do, you, you have, you'll have TMS or, yes, or the TMS, Sky yeah. commentators yeah, in your yeah, ear. And... TMS, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, I agree. And, Andrew, how do you visualise Paisley Park? How, how, how do you see him in your mind? Um, well, I've been up by sides with him quite a few times. I've, just, uh, I've seen the horse a lot and, um, and I just see him as a, just a really kind, gentle horse as well. He does everything right at home. He's a, he's a lovely individual. Yeah. What sort of, I mean, personality-wise, does his personality shine through? Yes, he's just, I mean, it's been amazing. Yesterday I went to Sandown and three or four people came up to me and said, oh, you, you own Paisley Park, he's such a beautiful horse, and they're all supporting him, you know? Oh, lovely. Was there ever a thought in your mind that, that you and the team would go down the novice chasing route, or was it always it made sense to stay overheard? Or? No, I think initially there was that thought, but as you know, the ground this year has been so firm that we didn't really have the opportunity to school him properly, you know, sufficiently. And it was a great, you know, we were going to go down the hurdle route to start with and see how it went. And, well, as you've seen, it's been very successful. And, and you, I suppose, you, Kim, you would have had with the, the success with the novice hurdles you had last year, you would have had a similar decision to make to that, to that which um, Emma and Andrew made with, with Paisley Park. Do you go over fences? Do you stay over hurdles? You had uh, the likes of Red River, who you've got, of course, and, and, uh, and Vindication First Flow would be another one. There are plenty of them. In the main, you've gone the novice chasing route. I've tried to go the novice route. Um, I mean, certainly, I mean, obviously, Vindication, you know about Red River. Um, he started over fences the other day at uh, Ludlow. Sadly, um, did the splits on, on, on landing at the second last, and 
um, tore enough ligaments that he needs a bit of time to get over it. So we, we stopped with him now for the season. First flow is a horse that won soft ground. Um, we schooled him. We had him ready to run. Um, he was due to run at Hereford early December, um, the same day as Band and Rock won, funny enough. Mm. And um, he had a dirty track wash that week, which is marginal. And we thought, well, that's fine. We'll get soft ground again. Well, we haven't. So we've now actually given up the idea of going chasing with him. Um, and he'll run over hurdles if we get soft ground. Is it, is it, is it the slightly less fashionable route, do we think, to... to just to stay over hurdles and do what pays it. I know it's paid off hugely now with, with what this, this horse has achieved, but, or is it, does it, is, it, is it trainer preference? Is it just the type of horse? Ted Walsh once said to me, uh, we were talking about big bucks, we were having a debate about big bucks, uh, and he said um, he would always uh, want a horse that had that level of ability to go over fences if possible. Big bucks did try it, saying that no one sets out to breed a, breed a stays hurdle winner, but everyone sets out to breed a Cheltenham Gold Cup winner, <laughs> certainly in Ireland. Um, but just, uh, Andrew, be, the fact that you are blind um, has sort of raised people going racing who are blind because many years ago, this young guy over there is far too, far too young to, to remember, obviously. Um, do you remember Val Friedman, Philip Friedman's uh, mother? She, she actually started um, a, a racing club for people who were blind and every meeting at Ascot, other than the Royal Meeting, she'd have blind people along and she'd get, you know, members of the racing press, jockeys to come out and talk to them. Um, is there any sort of club like that around now? Or any? <clears throat> I'm not sure, actually, Jim. Not to, not to my knowledge, no. I tend to just go with my friends. I, I'm not sure. I think Bev Scott mentioned to me about that as well one time. As well. Yeah. You, you, someone like yourself who's become high profile because of Paisley Park just, just might be the catalyst for something like that getting going again. Well, people might certainly get, get interested again, yes. We talked about accessibility on the, the show last week and accessibility of the sport. And I mean, did you find it as a, as a young man wanting to get into racing? Did you always find it a, a, an easy sport to get into, Andrew? Um, yes, I think so. Yes, I think I, yes, I did. With regard to the to your upbringing, the other sports you were interested in was it was it by coincidence you fell into racing? Was was it always was it something your family were interested in? Because no. you have a, a sporting background, but not necessarily racing. No, that's right. I mean, my parents were much more interested in golf and rugby, and uh, and, and my dad would take me to test matches. But uh, no, I I fell into it really via school holidays. I think when I I used to if I wasn't listening to test match, I'd be tuning into the the, the racing on the television and. I, and of course, I got more and more interested, and, and the radio commentary was Peter Bromley, and I got more and more interested, and eventually the gambling became part of it. Well, then just you know, it's been a, um, just, it's so enjoyable since then. It's interesting you mentioned that cricket link. That there is such a crossover, it seems, between between those two sports in the main. My first ever interview was Sir Michael Stout, and terrified I approached, and some I can't remember who it was. I think somebody at the yard leaned over to me, could sense I was nervous, and said, "Ask him about cricket." And that that initially then relaxed him and relaxed me. And there is that crossover between the two sports. Well, I found I went to because um, uh, I'm some I'm involved with some high clear horses, and I went to one of their evening functions, and I was sat by Sir Michael Stout. And all we did that night was talk about cricket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not. We, we won't talk about cricket at the moment because it's no, not very good. No, it's I'm, sure I'm sure he, he particularly. Yeah, 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 exactly. We delight him. Quite right. Absolutely. Um, so, te- so, so, other horses, Andrew, that you've been in, involved with. I, I suppose the the main one people would know would be <coughs> Trip to Paris. Now he won a, an Ascot Gold Cup. You got involved off the back of that, but he's taken you around the world. Yes. Well, he took. Um, obviously, I became involved just prior to when he went to. Uh, Caulfield Cup. I mean, I I regularly do go out for the the Spring Carnival in Melbourne. So, but I went out for the Caulfield Cup when he was uh, you know, a fantastic race to be second, 
and then in the Melbourne Cup itself, he he got knocked around a bit, but finished fourth. And um, of course, now the the winner of that race, Prince of Penzance, there might be some questions about him because of Darren Weir's situation <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. We, we might as well look back at the um, Silly Isles yesterday, which uh, was won by Defi de Searle, who re re reversed that form with Lost in Translation. And there is your horse, Kim, with the, the green hat vindication with that uh, noseband on, who ended up finishing uh, in the position he is currently. Just, just, well, you reflect on the race if you can, Kim, and, and, and your approach to the race. He's a horse that we've quite often seen uh, prominently ridden in his races, and, and he was he, well, he was mid-division at this stage. Did you always feel Lost in Translation was likely to go forward? We did, and it's quite a difficult situation. This horse is very, very inexperienced. He, he's had six runs in his life. He, he's a very immature horse. Um, we've rather been patient with him. We, we've very much looked towards the long-term game with the horse. Um, this was a big step up for him. Um, and, and I said to David yesterday morning, I said, we, we're going to lose or win the race over the first three fences. It's important that we needed to get a lead into the first fence. Um, and he came into the third fence and jumped slightly right-handed, showing his lack of experience. And he's never run on that ground before. And I'm not going to turn around and say the ground was the reason why he got beat, but he has not, you know, it was, it was sloppy ground at, at um, Carlisle and good to soft ground at Ascot. And he was really never in his comfort rhythm yesterday. But having said that, you know, he's been beaten by two really good horses. He's been beaten two and a half lengths. Um, he showed that he stayed. He shows unbelievable guts. He never jumped with the fluency yesterday that he, that he can do. And I put that down to the fact he was jumping out of ground he wasn't used to. Jim, how do you assess the, the level of this form, perhaps in comparison to what the, the first two did in the dipper? Um, well, I mean, there's no doubt uh, the uh, loss in translation uh, ties in against La Baga Roi, who's um, you know, as, good, as good a novice as we've seen in Britain this season, admittedly with a mayor's allowance and runs today. Uh, Defi Dussoy arguably should have beaten Lost in Translation in the Dipper last time. It was interesting that Barry rode him more conservatively. But, but I think, you know, not just because Kim is sat here. Vind Vindications, I think, is also any jumping fan has loved and was looking forward to running. And he looked to be out of his comfort zone for the whole of the race yesterday. Now, a lot of horses would have just, they would have given up. But he stuck on really well to the end. They're three very smart novices. Um, they're different physiques. I mean, Lost in Translation, Kim is a bull of a horse, isn't it? Yours horse. is a taller horse, yeah. isn't he? Um, mine, mine is a very big, weak, narrow horse, and this is why we've been patient with him. And, you know, you can, you can criticise me by saying, oh, why have we gone chasing this year? But well, I felt he was strong enough to go and do it. But this was, a, this was a different level to what he's been racing in. They've gone quick from the moment he started. Um, the, the two races he run over fences so far have been completely different races. Um, he doesn't have to front run. I mean, we ended up front running at, at Carlisle because they went so slowly. He didn't front run at Ascot. You know, he, was, he made a mistake, which was the reason why he wanted the lead this time. Um, once he got himself going, you know, he jumped fantastic. But it, it was completely different ground. He'll learn. He'll learn a huge amount from what happened And yesterday. you must have been pleased with the end of the race. At the last, for example, I wonder if he was getting tired going down to it, but not a bit of it. He really he, he jumped willingly at the last and then kept on. I mean, do, is he a horse now that you, you think is in want of three miles off the back of that? After what I saw yesterday, I mean, if we end up going to Cheltenham, it will be the three-mile race, not the JLT, because at the end of it... You know, he, he's an out-and-out -out stayer. We've always known he's an out-and-out -out stayer, but I just, I hope that he had a little bit enough speed to, to be able to you know, stay on a shorter trip. And, you know, yesterday was a big learning curve for all of us, and mm. I think the horse would have come away from that having, he'd have grown physically and mentally, and mentally, 
um, a different horse as a result of it. He's learnt, you know, he'll come out more of a man. I thought after he won an Ascot when Lydia interviewed you on Racing TV, one of the most interesting things that... All, everything you say is interesting, but one of the most interesting <laughs> things you said on the day, Kim, um, was, I think Lydia said, what, what pleased you most about that? And you said the first fence where he made a mistake, because mm. you were almost keen to, for the horse to learn in his races mm. and, and to... to Make a mistake early, and he learnt plenty from that throughout the race. And yesterday at Sandown, those, those railway fences come up very, very quick. If you get the first one wrong, you get the second and third wrong, which is exactly what happened. Mm. Um, he was never able to then get his relaxing... You know, he was never able to get into a rhythm, um, as, as I think they said on television afterwards. He lacked his rhythm yesterday, and I think that's happened very early on. As I said to David before, I said the first three fences were the making or breaking of the race, as far as we're concerned. And I'm afraid to say I think it was the breaking. You said if we go to Cheltenham, how big an if is that at the moment? Well, I'm, you know, I, I know my owners are desperately keen to go to Cheltenham, um, and they, you know, they've gone into the yesterday's racing with huge expectations and come away slightly disappointed. Um, and I have to say a big thank you to Sandown because they were phenomenal the way they looked after my owners yesterday. I mean, you know, there's a team of twelve of them, um, very enthusiastic. Some of them's their first ever racehorse. Mm. Sandown gave them a box. Um, they gave them all tickets so they had their wives and, and, and um, friends with them. And I just thought the way Sandown looked after it, it was an example of how a racecourse should look after their owners. Anyway, forgetting all that. Um, Cheltenham, yes, I mean, it, it's something that the owners would love to go to. Uh, to me, it's not the be-all and end-all. I see this horse as a, as a very good horse in two years' time, in a year's time. I think whatever we do now is, you know, we can easily ruin a horse by doing too much with him. Yes, I'd love to go to Cheltenham if he's, if he's right and he's happy and the conditions are right. Um, but it won't be the end of the world for me if he doesn't. But having said that, um, there's a long way to go yet. Yes, absolutely. Chuckman may well be on the agenda for the winner. Deffy Lucell, who did reverse that uh, dip of form with Lost in Translation off level weights on this occasion. Trainer Philip Hobbs is on the line. Philip, good morning to you. Many congratulations with uh, Deffy yesterday. You must have been delighted. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, we're all chuffed a bit. What did you expect going into the race based upon what had, what had happened at Cheltenham, where... Uh, as far as some were concerned, Lost in Translation had perhaps out, outstayed Deffid or so. Did you go in, into the race yesterday expecting you could reverse that form? Well, it was, Cheltenham was very uh, unusual, really, because when he jumped the last, you thought we'd definitely won. And um, then he seemed to um, tie up a bit on the running, or maybe Lost in Translation found a bit more on the running. But whichever way round it was, um, it was obviously disappointing to get beaten. Uh, Barry obviously rode slightly differently yesterday and got there later, which probably helped. Um, and um, no, we're all delighted with the outcome, obviously. And, and we didn't have to give Lost in Translation weight this time, which we did with Shelton, so that makes it good. This triumph hurdle winner of a, a couple of years ago, did you always expect him to, to make it into the chaser that he has, Philip? Yes. He's not over big, but that's never, in my opinion, necessarily an issue. Um, you know, if you go back 10, 20 years, you know, a lot of the Triumph Hurdle winners were horses that had flat race form and uh, they'd had a busy career before they even uh, got to running in juvenile hurdles, whereas he's rather different because he's running in AQPS bumpers in France. So he was always a horse that should progress, yes. And if you can reflect on, on last season, which I suppose on, off the back of what he achieved as a four-year-old and what he's done this season, it, it would have to be considered slightly disappointing. But was that a sign of some of these, these horses, these juveniles, when they go in against older horses, they just they can find it a little bit difficult? Not really. Last season, he only ran twice. Some of our horses were unhealthy. He was the first one to sort of uh, not be right in November time. And um, when he went to Ireland for the Irish champion hurdle, he had another issue, which was sorted out fairly soon afterwards. And... Um, 
you know, last season was just a complete disaster from start to end, really. Mm. So it was one of those things, and he's back on song now. And just on, on you as a whole, your, your yard's in great form this season. I know this time, 12 months ago, as the, you know, the, the spring festivals were approaching, as you say, perhaps they weren't. But, but at the moment, you must be delighted with how the yard are and, and, and no signs of where you were 12 months ago, Philip. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, the horses are in really good nick, and uh, we're obviously delighted with all that, and we've got plenty of nice young horses that have been winning bumpers and other turtles that should be good for the future. So, uh, no, uh, um, last season was very frustrating. Although, having said that, I mean, we still had 60-odd winners, so it wasn't a complete disaster, but, you know, obviously, normally, we would be hoping to have 100. And this horse, his last couple of starts have been over this, this two and a half miles. One of the, the Cheltenham, of course, and he won over two and a half yesterday. Is there any reason why he, you can see that he, he won't go on and contest that similar trip at the Cheltenham Festival? I'm sure that two and a half is going to be his trip. I mean, yesterday's ground was very testing. It's unlikely to be that testing for Cheltenham. So uh, I don't think you'd want to be going back in trip. And Barry for certainly thought that as well. Mm. And I remember the, the triumph hurdle. People were worried about the ground for him but when he won on that occasion, but not a bit of it. And he, he's versatile ground-wise, isn't he? Massively so. Um, I don't think actually... I mean, obviously it won't be quicker than good. Good ground is no disadvantage, but he does cope very well with us. Mm. Uh, Philip, thanks for joining us. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for your time. Well on yesterday with Deffy Dussel. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. I could have uh, Philip to join us. Just on that point, Jim, do you, do you see that? We've, I know that Philip was saying that the horse had problems, but we do see horses who may have stellar juvenile campaigns and they, they stay over hurdles in their, their four or five-year-old campaign and they can struggle against older horses. I know Catchett was the last horse to, to, to win that champion hurdle off the back of a triumph success, but they do find it difficult sometimes against the older horses. Uh, well, it's sort of a... It's, it's, it's something that makes me smile, really. I mean, last year... Overall, the form of the juvenile hurdles in the main has been shown up this year. And invariably, they get handicapped too high. Mm. People talk about a syndrome. It's just bad handicapping. Give, you know, for a horse to be rated in the mid-50s, for at the end of a campaign where he's run against a, a tightly managed group where there aren't, there aren't many of them to start with, there isn't a huge herd, um, it's a big ask for them to go in at wait for age, and, and and with penalties as well in a lot mm. of the races because they have had a group um, a group one success. So I mean, it's interesting. Philip touched there on ground, um, Kim. This has been every season brings its challenges. This has been an unusual one in terms of ground. I mean, I think Sandown in the build up before we got the the bad weather last week even put a drop of water in the back straight because it's so quick. Yet the festival, um, Simon Clay's has an instruction from uh, the BHA that the ground at the festival, is it good to soft? It has to start on good to soft ground. So, you know, what sort of nightmare is that going to be leading up to it? I mean, you water in advance to, I don't know how far out you'd, you'd think you have to water. You, you live near there. And then you get a deluge three or four days before. What do you do? I, I, I have to say that um, being a clerk of the course has got to be the most difficult job around. And we, you know, we all say our job is difficult, but at the end of it, you get, you get slated from every direction. Um, and you, and you know, what Andrew Cooper did yesterday was, was extraordinary. Yes, he was lucky it didn't snow more than it did on, Friday, on Sunday night. And luck plays a major factor in it. But, you know, putting water on in January to me is a, is a disgrace because at the end of it, yeah, it, it's, it sits on, on ground. And, uh, and the other day at Kempton, and, and Barney Clifford a very good clerk of the course he watered because he he was worried the ground was too quick but if you've got a horse that actually wants fast ground nowadays you're in a situation where your your career's started or stopped before it's even started really because you don't get the opportunity to go and do it because every race course is now so confident that it has to or has to produce good ground 
it doesn't like the word good deferment. It. Um, and it's wrong to me in the middle of winter. If you've got a horse that's, you know, that actually wants fast ground, why can't it run the middle of winter? Mm. But, I mean, Donkster's another track that have, you know, stated that they, they, they will, they have, have, they felt they've had to water yeah. because of I was of there the, day, the other day when, when um, the horses fell on the flat and, and, and they, they decided not to run the last two races. Um, and it's difficult because the camber away from the stands is, is going the wrong direction. So, therefore, you're in a slightly different situation. So, therefore, if you have got fast ground, um, and it, that day it was very quick ground, and, you know, horses were slipping. Um, but then when they put water on it, it became like a pudding mash on top of the, you know, the first two inches and became very tiring ground. And it was still firm underneath. And I think that does more damage to the horse's legs long term than it means probably anything else because the horse thinks, ah, this is good ground, I'll let myself down. Um, and they end up having a long-term problem as a result of it. And much of this trying to get, particularly the start of festivals, on, on good to soft ground and allowing it to develop as the, the festival continues is a, a welfare issue. We'll be discussing that more. Gary Witherford will be in, uh, alongside us. But let's just reflect more on yesterday's action. We saw uh, the contender's hurdle was won by Bouvedere. We learnt a lot about the champion hurdle, what may or may not run there yesterday. This horse will go a bid to win the champion hurdle for a third time off the back of this, winning this race again, Jim, which he's uh, done for the last couple of seasons. This is his prep run, if you like. It looked visually very much like that. Nicky Henderson said afterwards, we needed to run here, and thank goodness the meeting was on. Well, I mean, it, it, it's very similar sort of performance for the last couple of years, except there were nearly twice as many runners as last year. There were five instead of three. Um, I mean, it's an odd name, really. It's more the non-contenders hurdle than the contenders. But it, for, for, as far as Nicky Henderson's concerned, um, the horse had a nice time. Um, I thought he might have dismissed the runner-up a little bit more easily than than he did, though in saying that, I'm not saying he was very hard pushed to do so. It, it, was an, it was an OK performance, and at least he's on target, but he's got at least one, if not two, formidable mares to deal with now. I think more, more so than ever this year, and probably came off the back of his fighting fifth performance where he, he beat Sam Crow, because that was, I think, billed as perhaps, the, on reflection, the biggest task of his career. But the... The respect or lack of respect in a way that he shows to his hurdles, the way he flicks through the top, he made a terrible error before it didn't cost him a huge amount of momentum at Kempton. He flicked through the top of the last there again. We, we talk about him being such a good hurdler now, such a neat hurdler. How, how much can you teach a horse to do that, or how much of it is natural ability at the, at the hurdles? Um, I know from um, Nicky's point of view, I mean, I think Yogi Bryson has a major factor in the yard, and he, he schools a lot of his horses, and uh, this horse is a natural herder, and um, I'm sure he's been taught as much as possible to flip through the two. And I, has, he run over, has he run over the plastic hurdles yet? I don't think he has. I don't think he has, no. Um, and that's an interesting, the new plastic hurdles make horses jump slightly bigger than they, you know, you don't flick through the hurdles like you do here. What, why is that, is that visually for the visually, horses there? It's, it's a much different hurdle to look at. When they first brought it in, if you didn't have a set of those hurdles at home, your, your horses were suddenly back off and look at them. Um, now we've all got these hurdles, so therefore, um, or something very similar, so therefore they got used to it. Um, it's an interesting scenario because at Cheltenham, haven't, they, they certainly don't have them, and uh, I don't know whether they've got plans to have them long term. But we are in a situation now where you've got two types of hurdles, or actually three types of hurdles, running on race courses, which, mm. is, um, which is certainly something that's never happened before. Um, and we haven't quite gone down the route that have an Ireland where they've got their sort of plastic uh, easy fix hurdles. But, uh, um, you know, we've got our brush hurdles at Southall. Um, occasionally they used to have them at Haydock um, and Worcester. And then you've got the, uh, the new plastic-based ones or the rubber foam-based ones, which are on 90% of the courses now. And then you've still got these... Um, Birch hurdles um, at the championship courses. So it'll be interesting to see when they finally change and they come together. And I think you'll find that Boobadale will change, he changes his style of jumping when he does see them. He might be actually a less, as you say, a less efficient jumper perhaps because he'd be a he'll little bit bigger. He'll have to jump them and that's, that's the difference. It might slow him down. 
off the back of what we saw, well, we didn't learn, I don't think, a huge amount yesterday. He's still very good at his hurdles. He's still very quick away from them as well. But we did learn a, a bit about Ireland, which we'll come to. But interesting, Jim, that we've got a stage where we've seen Bouvedere is beatable this year. He was beaten by Vedana Blue last time, at, 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 time before last at Kempton. And yet there may not be a host of challengers coming to take him on, or there may or may not be, because I think the, the main two challengers are mares. And were they not, they'd be willing to take him on, but it, it, that may not be the case. We could have a relatively uncompetitive champion hurdle, though we don't know yet. I remember someone said that to Peter Easterby, and he, a journalist, and he just turned around and said, you try winning one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, no sporting contest. We saw with Annie Power in um, her first year at, at the festival. Uh, whatever it seems a formality, where, where there's jumps involved, it's never a formality. I know what you're saying in terms of form, um, in terms of form, he certainly of the, the British trained horses, he, he looks he, he he looks hard to beat. But if the two Irish mares turn up, and I say two, yeah. um, <laughs> or if they go to the mares race, either the mares race or the champion hurdle could be one of the races of the festival, or should be. And we saw yesterday Apple's Jay, I mean, she was brilliant in dispatching that um, that Irish champion hurdle field, including Mellon, who was just second to, to Bouvedere last year in the champion at, at Cheltenham. Uh, she went forward, we suspected she might. This was her first start over the minimum since the fighting fifth two and a bit years ago, where she was beaten on that occasion. But is she getting, is she getting quicker, or is it just she hasn't had a chance to, to show herself at this trip because she's been campaigned over two and a half and three? Well, she was just very... She's been in top form this season. Um, she got the run of things, although it was a well-run race. It wasn't a slowly run race, the time tells you that. Um, and she just ground them into submission, Kim. I would totally agree. And, and it would be, be great if she goes to the champion hurdle because you've got two different styles of racing, haven't you? You've got, you know, Boobadet likes to come from behind um, and he would like to sit behind her and she would then obviously try and grind it out. It'll, it would be a fantastic race if they actually were to meet. It, and then it, Lorena would come and pass the pair of them. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, who won a relatively uncompetitive uh, race at Sandown when we last saw her. But she, she's never been tested, really, has she? She, her, I was just saying to Kim beforehand, in her hurdle career, I think her shortest winning distance since she joined Willie Mullins is eight and a half lengths, her shortest winning distance. Mm. People knock that Sandown win, OK, what could you learn from that? She won by 40-odd lengths. Sandown has been like a bog, um, or, or certainly up until Christmas was like a bog. You don't see many horses come up the hill like her, still pulling as she passed the line, whatever she ran against. She's exceptionally good. She might be the best horse Willie Mullins has ever had. We, I think what people are struggling to get to grips with, Eddie O'Leary coming out and saying to, to Nick Luck afterwards, she didn't win the mayors last year, so we'll go again, and that's the most likely place we'll go. For all Gordon then came out and said, well, well, we'll speak to Eddie, we'll speak to Michael, and I'll have my say, and then we'll do what Michael says. Um, <laughs> why, what, what people can't get to grips with, it seems is why she wouldn't go for a champion hurdle. If the three of us had a syndicate and we owned Apple's Jade, I'd venture we'd probably run her in the champion hurdle. But, but, but why... Well, Jim's not sure. But why, why wouldn't she go to a champion hurdle, Jim? Why wouldn't she go? Um, I mean, I think they see that there's a mare's race being created, whatever you, whatever you think of the, about there being a mare's race. It's a logical target. You want to have a winner at Cheltenham. Sure, we see it uh, as fans as there being uh, maybe more glory in winning the champion hurdle and taking on a horse like Bouvardier. But when you're an owner and you've got lots and lots of horses and lots of options and you've got one like that and there's you know something that, on the face of things, although I don't see it that way myself, the mayor's hurdle just turn up and hack round, why not? And is her reputation stronger, Kim, as a, a mayor if she 
if she wins that mayor's hurdle compared to, say, finishing second in the champion hurdle? Is, is that a risk they've got to play off? Well, at the end of it, as, as Jim rightly said, you're, you, you go to Cheltenham to try and win a race. Mm. Um, and to walk away from Cheltenham with a win under your belt is far better than finishing. A second's not a place trainers like to be, let me tell you. Um, and, um, <laughs> you, you don't like finishing second, <laughs> And there, there's a, you know, an owner's likewise. I mean, you know, you win races. You, don't, you, you go to win races. And that's going to be their difficult decision. Um, so if you have two mayors turning up together, they, they, they might one might split the other and, and go for the champion hurdle. I suppose is that possibility. I hope they all go the champion hurdle because it, to me it's you know it's the best two mile hurdle in, uh, race of the year, and it'd be great sadness if you if you don't have the best horses taking each other on. But I can understand I can understand the logic behind trying to avoid each other. Mm. Is it? Go on. Just looking at the the Irish situation. I mean, Kim and I touched briefly on this before before we sort of went on air. Um, 10 or 12 years ago, when you think Ireland went through, were very badly hit by the recession, 2007, 2008, uh, you know, buildings not completed and that sort of thing, no money around. And you look at the Cheltenham entries as a guide to where the power in jump racing is. I mean, people are moaning about small fields in England and at top level. It's because the quality is split 50-50. So you, if you look at the Supreme Novices Hurdle, the entries came out this week. There are 98 horses entered in the Supreme. 58 of them, 58 of them are Irish trained, mm -hmm. of which Gordon Elliott has 12, Willie Mullins has 23, Joseph O'Brien has 7, Henry de Brom had has 5. The Engl our English star trainers, Nicky Henderson has 4, uh, Paul Nichols has 5, and Colin Tizard has 2. I mean, Kim, that is, that, that's one race. I could give you a, a, a lot of the others as well. But that is some power swing, isn't it, Kim? It's extraordinary because at the end of it, um, Irish racing has is, 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 is got stronger. Um, and I know they don't race as often as we do. And, you know, we get regularly small fields. I mean, you don't get small fields in Ireland unless you're running in the graded races where you have the same horses turning up. But they're yeah. ordinary handicaps, your novices. You know, they've got 20 runners. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you don't get 20 runners nowadays in a novice hurdle. Um, it, it has changed dramatically. You know, there was a time when a lot of these horses came over to England. Well, sure. no, they don't. They've, they've got pr good prize money over there. They want to stay in their own country. Um, it, it's a worry. It's a worry. But it's, it, I think a lot of it boils down to the fact we've got so much racing in this country. We're racing every single day. And there are two or three meetings every single day. How many horses can cope with that amount of racing? Um, it's going to be a long-term um, worry for the sport, I think, that, that you know, you've got a strong power base in Ireland who don't want to match it with England, um, and it, it, it'll create its own problems. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. Delighted to say that Gordon Elliott joins me after a, a sparkling, sparkling opening day to the Dublin Racing Festival. You must be a very happy man after yesterday's results. Yeah, it's unbelievable um, to win the first race. You know, it takes a lot of pressure off for the week, for the two days, um, and the Grade One made it even better. I don't think I've ever seen you quite as sort of satisfied inwardly. It seemed to me as you were after after Apple's Jade One. Just just talk me through the, the build up to yesterday and, and tell me why it mattered so much to you. Well, I suppose listen, as good as it is having horses like that, uh, it puts a lot of pressure on you, and you get wound up every day. But I suppose that's why you're in it. You know, there's a lot of bad days, and when your days are last year, you. you um, Listen, I, I, I enjoy it every day. You see me go to the track. Uh, I um, sometimes I lap around and make it a bit of an easier on myself. But uh, when you've mirrors like that, it's something else. And it's the one thing you you might train. I mean, how many horses do you train? I've got quite a few, yeah. But it's up into the two hundreds or three hundreds or whatever. Yeah, no, we we we've, we've, we've I suppose been one hundred fifty and two hundred horses. Mm. Um, you know, we're lucky. We we're getting more quality uh, every year, and it's uh, 
it's uh, it's very important. But for me, like to, to have a winner in in uh, in air on Wednesday or a winner in Epperstown today is important to me. So every horse is the same. But she's a little bit different. I mean, all all are equal, but some are more equal than others. She was absolutely superb yesterday, and of course she set everybody alight after the race as to where she was going to yeah. go at Cheltenham. And Kim and and Tom and and Jim have been talking about it back at back at base and. And I, there's a strong feeling that, that this is the this is the mayor that should be yeah. heading the market for the champion hurdle, and she should go for yeah. the champion hurdle. How how strongly do you feel that? Uh, listen, before yesterday, I would have said the mayor's hurdle was the race to go for, but um, you have to look at she went to the mayor's hurdle last year and she got better in it. So uh, I suppose sleeping on it last night and looking at all the reruns this morning, um, I'd prefer to get better in the champion hurdle than I would in the mayor's hurdle. So. Uh, 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 we have to be leading more towards the champion hurdle now than the mayor's hurdle, yeah. So, do you think that's a feeling that's shared by by Eddie and Michael? I mean, you you said to me yesterday, we'll all talk about it, I'll have my view, Eddie will have his view, Michael will have his view, and then we'll all listen to Michael. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, listen, uh, as I said, like uh, we all have our opinions, but uh, whatever Michael says will go. Um, but listen, I'd say, um, speaking to him this morning, and the mayor's okay after the race yesterday, we'd probably be mad not to give it a go. And in terms of why she's improved this year, you were saying yesterday that you've sort of stopped her coming in season and you think that that has got quite a lot to do with it. For, for those who aren't familiar and those who aren't familiar with how you might train mares and fillies differently to geldings, just explain how you do that and, and what's, what that's well, about. Well, I suppose saying we've stopped her coming in season, I can't really tell yet because it's only now that it starts cycling her coming in season. But uh, we're keeping a close eye and trying to monitor more this year than I suppose last year we never even thought about mm-hmm. where this year we, we have to be very careful that she doesn't uh, come into season Cheltenham or punches down time so uh, uh, obviously working closely with the vets and Feathered Veterinary Hospital uh, we'll keep a close eye on it and try and make sure that she doesn't come into season It was a terrific day and let's hope she does as, as you suggest she is going to uh, line up in the champion hurdle. Did you watch Boover Day yesterday? I just saw the end of it I saw this morning at the reruns uh, saw from, from the turn in home um, listen, he, he's obviously a very, very good horse. Uh, he just does what he has to do every day, and uh, he's a horse you love to train. But uh, listen, we, we, we'll take him on. The way you're smiling there suggests to me that you really, you really fancy a crack at him. Uh, listen, up until yesterday, I, I would have been very, very nervous. But to do what you did here yesterday, I thought it was very good. I know um, she's just very good. She loves a battle. Um, she, I think the Cheltenham would suit her better than Leopardstown. But uh, listen, I'm not doubting uh, Boovedere's going to be a very, very hard horse to beat. But uh, we, we might give him a go. Some other brilliant winners for you yesterday. Envoy Allen looks a yeah. beautiful horse. I mean, he really is a magnificent horse to look at, and he produced a performance that was commensurate with that on the course. Do you, of all your young horses, do you think he's the one that could, could go the furthest, potentially? Uh, and obviously, Nick, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. That the horses I have, you know, from, from A to Z, uh, if I start saying he's the best horse in my yard, um, I'd be telling a lie. And you're setting yourself up for a yeah. bit of a fall, if yeah, you say exactly. that as well, I get that. Yeah, but I'm in the position that I've got a lot of very, very good horses. Uh, but I think he's a good horse. Um, he's a horse bought to be a big three-mile chaser. He came highly recommended. Um, and... Uh, He's 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 uh, he's proven a good horse for uh, Chievely Park and uh, Mr. Miss Thompson. Now the ground was pretty quick. Yeah. By the standards of yeah. early February. Yeah. And you've taken quite a few horses out today. Yeah. I've taken five horses out today. Um, look at uh, obviously Cheltenham is, is is the be all end all for us for the season and I've, I've a few horses that I just can't take a chance. I'd love to be running in the Grade One races and a lot of prize money here today, but um, look at the ground just isn't good enough and that's it.
it's just not soft enough just not yeah. easy enough yeah I mean easy enough like you know when I say it's, it's just not uh, it's just not safe enough for the horses that I want to run so that's the way it is could the track have done anything different do you think should they have slowed uh, it down a bit more listen it's, 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 it's hard to call obviously uh, uh, Pat and all his team in Leopardstown and obviously Larkin the, the clerk of the course they've done as good as a job there's a lot of rain forecasts that oh. didn't come I suppose listen uh, uh, Everyone is open to criticism, but uh, the boys uh, to do their job and they do a good job. I don't ever stand up and give out, but I suppose look at if probably have to look at it again. They probably could have put a bit of water on the chase course, but there was rain forecasted and, and they didn't. So that's the decision they made, and I'm not going to give out about it. But I've made the decision to take my horses out, and that's the way it is. So the ones that don't run today, significant non-runners, say Delta Work doesn't run in the doesn't big run, yeah. yeah. And will he go straight to Cheltenham? He goes straight to Cheltenham now. Yeah. How many do you run in the spring juvenile now? I run two. I took out Cora Sublime. Uh, he, 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 he's a good horse as well, but he just wants to get his toe into it a bit more. So Chief Justice does run? Chief Justice runs. Davy Russell rides him now. Uh, you know, And Serum, she's a good mare as well. So we've got two in it, but it's a good race. So that's the business of today and yesterday sorted out. When you, when you go home at night, do you ever get a chance to think, my word, I'm training several hundred of the best jumpers in Europe, or do you just simply never think about it? Do you simply just move on to the next day? Uh, I know how lucky I am. You know, you, of course, you, you 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 pinch yourself every day when you go and look at the horses I have. But uh, uh, I I take it day by day, not in phases me too much. Um, uh, I want the next winner. That's what I want. Where where did the dream start? Where did it all begin? Um, I got into horses by accident. Um, uh, a few uncles of mine had a few pint of pointers, and I sat on pint of pointers when I was young, and kind of liked it, and just went from there. And did, did the whole family enjoy it? Was it always a, a family hobby, pastime, business, or not Not at all? No, um, none of the, uh, my mother and father are into horses at all. My father's a panel beater and my mother's a housewife. But uh, I was lucky enough, um, you know, I, I, I probably when I was 11 or 12, I uh, got a bit of a bite for it, and I'm probably lucky that I, that I did because uh, I'd be laying blocks or doing something stupid if it wasn't. What, what did you enjoy about it? Yeah, I just just like the animals. Uh, I like. I, like, uh, um, I think they're they're incredible what they can do, and um, yeah, it's great. So it was something that attracted you, and then you you started writing up Tony Martin, wasn't it? Yeah, was your, yeah. Was your sort of first yeah. governor, if you like. Yeah, a few a few other uh, sort of jobs before that, and um, Tony Martin was was probably the first job I have. I spent twelve years with Tony, learned an awful lot. Um, uh, spent a couple of years at Martin Pipe. Uh, still be, you know, uh, over and back. They'll be good friends with Dave and. All them over there, and uh, you know it's the place I enjoy going back to the whole time. You know it's great. Do you think that was the place that that shaped you as as the trainer that you are more than anywhere else? I suppose. Look, to be fair, I probably learned a lot off of uh, both Tony and uh, and and Martin. Um, I suppose the attention and detail Martin Pipe had. You know, he left no stone unturned. Um, you know, from whether it was hanging the door to to what a horse did, he, he just he just won them man that. Uh, he, he was incredible, you know. Venetia Williams was on the show a couple of weeks ago now, and she'd spent some time with, with Martin Pipe as yeah. well, shortly before you did. Yes, right, yeah. And I said to her, well, did you take your training methods from him? And she said, yeah, of course you did, because he was winning everything. He got yeah. horses fitter. He, he, he conditioned them better than everybody else. And I said to her, did he, did he give you much advice? And she said, no, you, you didn't really have that many conversations. You just learnt by yeah. watching. It was like osmosis almost. Yeah, yeah he, he, I suppose he, he didn't say, say too much, but... Uh, just say, uh, um, I suppose, uh, keep your ears open and your eyes open and, and your mouth shut, you know. That was probably the way, I, the way I did it, you know. What did you see there that impressed you the most? Uh, look, as I said, his, his attention to detail still to this day, um, you know, he, he doesn't miss anything. 
And do you, you still in, in touch? Does he still? Yeah, he texted me last night. Uh, I was talking to him two weeks ago. He was in his, on his holidays. He, he rang me, rang me for a few, see if I had a, have a winner or two. So, uh, yeah, no, I'd still be uh, uh, pretty close to him. Yeah, yeah. And that time with Tony Martin, I remember at that time Tony Martin was sort of considered the the absolute master of placing a horse, of putting yeah. it in the right race, of getting yeah. one absolutely ripe and ready for the day. Yeah. Could you sort of see the the cogs turning when you were there? Yeah, I suppose the, the one thing you learned with Tony, like he was he, he was you know brilliant at placing his horses. Um, probably learned a, a lot of that from um, you know he 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 got them very fit without galloping them a whole lot. Um, you know he's I'd say there's probably no better man if he had the right horse. He 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 he'd be very dangerous. Can you remember your first ride? Yeah, uh, my first ride, um, first ride in the point to point. I think um, I fell at the last fence going to, going to Mayor called Crockerani, going to win at the last in Castle and Gagan, and uh, I asked her for a big one. She put down and she fell. It was my fault, yeah. And how ambitious were you to be a to be a jockey, a proper jockey? Uh, listen, like like any young fellow when you get into racing, you know, everyone can say you want to be a trainer. I, I, I didn't start. I wanted to be a trainer. You think you're going to be a jockey, but obviously I wasn't good enough, and uh, I was a little bit heavy as well. So thankfully, the training worked out better. Were you always struggling with that side yeah. of things, even when you were little? Yeah, well, I was never little, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I I always struggled with the weight. Um, Love riding point to point. Point to point was uh, I enjoyed the point to point probably more than than bumpers and that. Uh, you know, it was more fun and jumps and the whole. That was great. Were you brave? Uh, I thought I was, but I probably wasn't that brave when you, when you look back now and you see, the, you know, the, the Jamie Codds and Derek O'Connors and Barry O'Neill's, these lads, uh, I wouldn't say I was that brave, no. And what was it about the point to point you enjoyed? Was it the camaraderie, the atmosphere? The... Yeah, that's why I enjoyed the young horses coming along, you know, the, the, you, you know, the, you get to see the, the, the nice horses coming through as young horses, but uh, more fun, you know, there's a good bunch of lads riding when I, when I, when I was riding, it was great. Do you think there was always that? Bit of you that thought training was the thing was that was that in you from early? Uh, I suppose the first couple of years, no. To say to say it was, I'll be telling you a lie. But for for the latter years, it's something I always thought about. Uh, I was sort of pre-trained a few horses and trained a few point pointers myself at the end, and it just went from strength to strength. I was very lucky. Um, I suppose from Flagfall, uh, obviously doing the English National my first year of training, and then you know I just got a, a few owners and a few better owners as I went on. It was brilliant. But that sort of set the set the benchmark really in terms of you being an unconventional operator and someone who thought outside the traditional um, parameters. Running Silver Birch, I think, in a point to point, prepping him, yeah. and then running him in the national. You hadn't even had a winner in Ireland by that point when he won the national. Yeah, I remember. I think one of my first runners in, in, as a trainer was a horse called Brandon Mountain in Cheltenham in Fred Winter, and I thought it was great at having a runner. I met Martin Pipe in the parade ring. He says, "What are you doing here?" And I said, I "Have a runner," and he says, "Any chance?" And I says, "No, probably not." And he says, "Well, what are you doing here?" He, he said you should keep your horses uh, in the worst company yourself and the best and it's something I never forgot the following year then I obviously had to train the English national winner um, I probably had maybe 15-20 horses in training half dozen point to pointers and the rest for the track and um, they, were, they were probably only good enough to finish 5th or 6th in Ireland in races and I, I kind of figured out then I said, uh, I, I had this one headed for the north of England and Scotland and I kind of made my name there and trained a lot of winners. The horses just weren't good enough in Ireland, and I said I wanted to train winners, and that's, that's what I did. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai.
Gary Witherford, I'm thrilled to say, is alongside me in the studio. Joined uh, Kim Bailey and uh, Jim McGrath, who have been alongside since the start. A uh, bit of news from, from Dublin, first of all. Um, Apple's Jade looks likely to go champion hurdle now, we know, possibly. We'll see. There'll be fallout from that throughout the show. But also non-runners galore, I'm afraid, at, at, at Leopardstown. We've got Delta Work, who is out of the uh, Flogus, and we've got four out of the... Um, the, the feature race, or the Irish Gold Cup, which is a, a shame as a whole for the meeting. Much of that, Gordon saying that, you, that the ground isn't right for the horses, it, it becomes to an extent a safety issue. But Gary, alongside me, there's only a certain amount, I suppose, a, a race course can do. And we are at a time where it, there's there's unseasonable weather throughout. Um, I mean, safety comes into it, and it's just not right for some horses. I think it's right. You know, safety has to come in, in, you know, in force. Uh, it's the hardest job in the world, is the clerk of the, you know, the, the course. It, to, to try and keep that ground look perfect is so hard. Not not an easy job, is it, Kim? And no. you get you're never going to keep everyone happy. Absolutely, uh, I, Simon Clay's when he comes up to that Cheltenham Festival meeting must be he must have the worst job in the world because at the end of it, whatever you do is going to be wrong for somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm. You will not keep everyone happy. Um, first of all, Gary, um, a busy time for you, I'm sure. It, it, it's a busy time of year throughout the year for you, is it? Or are there times when when what you do just takes a little bit of a lull and then it then it picks up again? Um, I'm busy all year, really. You know, I mean, uh, normally we're breaking or starting young horses now, as, as in babies, yearlings and everything else. But this year I've taken a pull back because um, of the staff problem, you know, and my job is dealing with problem horses. And it's probably the hardest job to, to, to get staff into. Um, so I've taken a pull so we can, we can t- sort of regroup and then start what I'm doing with the, with the babies. So we've talked about, which seems to be an ongoing issue, that we talk about stable staff crisis for yards. But actually for you and what you do, you have a staff crisis yourself. You need skilled people who are used to breaking horses, dealing with young and experienced horses, and you can't find those, those people. It's, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. I mean, for the last five years, you know, we're, I mean, I, I'll start anything between five and six, seven hundred horses a year, babies, you know. So it's a big project, you know, I mean, and we'd have 12, 14 riders. But it gets to a point where... You know, you're, you're working, I do, and my son, we're doing 70,000 miles a year, driving up and down the race courses, and we're also having to work at home and on the race course and, and driving. You know, you, you could, in the summer, you're doing two meetings, maybe three meetings a day, where, you know, you're, you're up in the morning, just doing the, the babies, putting them through the stalls, and then you'll go off to, you know, up to Thirsk or Ripon or something, and back down to Kempton, Lingfield. So you're constantly on the go. And it's an ongoing process for you, isn't it? It's not a case of you get the babies in, you break them and you wave goodbye, see you later. It, it is that some of them need ongoing care throughout their racing career. Yeah, I mean, I've got a, I've got a horse in at the moment from a very high-profile um, flat trainer who she has problems, you know, she has, and she'll, you know, she's put two people in hospital, you know, and, it's, and she's only a two-year-old, uh, but she has problems, and, and, and a lot with that is pain problem. Mm. So my job is, along with good vets and good physios and things like that, is to find the problem of why that horse is doing what it's doing. We, of course, had the high-profile incident recently of Henry Oliver down at the start last week, eight days ago, at Utoxter, waving his arms down at the start in order to um, get his horse, Barnbridge Hotel, to, to start the race. Um, he was fined. We talked about the, the reason being he didn't have permission to be down there and also it seemed to give his horse a, a, an unfair advantage. But then welfare came into the, the debate and, and talked about the horse being made to start it against his free will. Well, I know you've been quoted on the subject, but just, just give us your take on, on the scenario that developed at Utoxter? I mean, at the end of the day, there's rules there, and he broke the rules. That's, that, you know, that's, that's the case, you know. But my opinion, when it, when it comes to working a horse and trying to get a horse to load up, we're all there. We're all there for the horse and trying... And, and the punter, you know, it's no good if a horse goes down to the start and it won't jump. Um, our hands are getting tied and tied and tied more and more 
each each things, all these new rules coming in. One of the first things you do with a with a baby, um, or, or when you start a horse for the very first time, and um, and I've 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 started zebras, you know, wild animals, and and got riders, you know, on, and they said it couldn't be done. But the first thing you do is send the horse away. You send it away by waving your hand. So you put yourself at, a, at like a forty-five degree angle onto his shoulder, and you put lift your hand and send him forward, so he knows to to go forward. You become the hunter, if you like, and it's the part of the training process of breaking a horse in or starting a horse in. And what he did is, you know, is to send the horse forward. And he's, and he's done the, he didn't hit the horse, he didn't do anything, he, 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 he got the horse running, actually, in my opinion. And so th- just, just, and just on that, it, we talk of, of horses being fight-or-flight animals yeah. at, at, that, at that moment down at the start. So he's encouraging the, the horse to use that, that flight mechanism that's a part of its brain, because is that all it's un- understand? He's a flight-or-fight... He has two, two things in his brain, that's fight-or-flight. And um, by... Sending him forward with his hand and waving his hand, he said, go forward. Um, I was always taught, told from a very young age, is always keep the horse on the go. Never stand it still. As soon as you stand it still, especially horses that rear or buck or anything like that, as soon as you stand, it, what we call plant. And Mad Moose was a classic one. He's a planter. And you, there's nothing you can do when a horse decides that he doesn't want to run with the herd, which is that's what racing is. They're herd animals, and they run, and that's how they, they race, and they, they're, they're working with the hunt. Once a horse decides that he doesn't want to run, there's nothing you can do, I can do, anybody else. It's the hardest thing to change the, the horse's mind, because he's planted himself, and he's a flight animal, and he said, stop. Let me go dressage, or let me go show jumping, or do something different. And we, we see it in races a lot. Mad Moose was a prime example of it, Jim. We see horses down at the start that, that don't don't wish to start. I mean, can you see from an outsider's perspective or from an animal rights perspective or an individual who perhaps doesn't like what we do in this sport and doesn't like racing and, and see a trainer waving his arms behind a horse, encouraging it to start, but, but then say, well, it doesn't want to. Why, why should it have to? There's a, there's a, obviously, there's a lot of ignorance in racing. We're very lucky to have racing on terrestrial television. So we can't ignore public opinion. You, if you have that luxury, your sport's on there, then the, the, the body running it has to be conscious that there are people that don't see the same things as us. What's happened here with this incident down at uh, Utoxeter, where, as um, Gary said and Kim and I both said earlier, uh, I mean, Henry broke the rules, end of story, uh, in, on, on two counts. But the, 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 the way he actually broke the rule looked very petty that he eventually got punished for. But it's the, the people running the sport just seem to see the outside point of view and don't seem to defend it in any way, and in the way that Gary's just pointed out. You know, how, how you get an animal to run... Uh, it fight or flight instinct. If you take that away from racehorses, you haven't got racehorses. It's inbred into them. And Richie Forrester wrote an article recently j- just talking about just that of the, the pandering to, to the outside opinion. You can't it, ignore it. You can't, can't, you can't, can't ignore it. Can't but ignore it. I think he but used you, the phrase death by to, a thousand cuts to say yeah. if we do it too much, there will be it, no race. You yeah. have to defend it. And that, that was a perfectly defensible situation. You didn't have to go into own free will, or, which, you know, in fairness, they have retracted that. But it shows the way they think, and that's worrying. I suppose, the, the, which we've also discussed, the, <clears throat> the recent statistics, and I don't know your take on it, Gary, of, 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 of the rise in fatalities by 0.04%, or 0.18 to, to 0.12, um, 
I think it was an extra 50 deaths across the board last year. All for all, it's a downward trend over the last decade, or indeed the last five years. It has gone up in the, in the last year. And that only puts the sport and the, the, the body in charge of it under the spotlight even more from that outside perspective. Yeah, I totally agree. But, you know, but there's other sports out there as well. You know, you've got the eventing, show jumping, you know, even uh, when, they're, when they're doing long distance riding, you have, you know, you have, it's like an athlete themselves. They have problems, you know, they have joint problems, they have knee problems, as I have a knee problem. But, you, you know, you, it's part of the... The, the, the structure of our sport, you know, I mean, and the free, you know, when they say the free for the, the horse to do what it wants, it can't do that. A horse needs a leader. We have to be the, the, the horse's boss. That's nature. You know, it, it's even if you put a, the horses on, on a plane, they'll always have a lead mare. And as soon as the, the horse hasn't a leader, then you have trouble. It's like turning around to the, to the BHA and say, OK, you want a free, free to get horses in the stalls. Let's have a test on it then. Let's see how many horses do not run. If you just take away the stall handlers, take away the starters and say, right, horse, walk into the stalls. Mm. You won't have racing. It won't happen. We had a, the, I think it was the, the Breeders' Cup where the, the long tom was used. To, well, to... that's the, 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 it was a tapper. And it's something right. I've been bringing in, been trying to bring in for probably 20 years. Through the BHA, they've looked at it, the people come down and seen it. And what it is, it's, it's a tapper. And it's a pressure, it's a pressure release. All, I work with all my horses pressure release. If you ask the horse to go forward, you take the pressure off it. And all, all it is is a tapper what just taps. And it's like something like tapping your knee. And it's annoying. And the horse will walk forward. As soon as the horse walks forward, you let go. Now, that stops all that sort of problem where people are going behind the stalls and lifting horses in. I mean, when I was 16 or 17 years of age, I witnessed a, a lad of 19 die in front of me from a horse kicking him in the stomach. Um, a young horse, a young two-year-old, and it kicked him and he bled out in front of me in two minutes. This is where it come out where I used the tappers and I invented the tappers. And now they're being used in Australia, they're being used in, in, in America, as you saw with Wild Illusion. And that horse was not going to go in. Mm. There was no way was that horse going to go in with a blind. And, and you see, see her kicking out and, and, and nearly putting someone on the floor. But as soon as the tapper come up and, and touched, it, touched its hocks, straight in the stalls. It's, it's part of the training. You have to make its mind up for it. You can't let the horse make the mind up. You know, make it up and say go. So there's a human safety aspect as well. Are we Big in danger? There's something about modern society which I think does it now. We, we, we have this tendency, or some do, to, to put almost animal welfare, equine welfare, before human welfare. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I put it my way. Humans are more important at the moment. But I love horses. You know, I, I absolutely I prefer horses than, than humans. I mean... We're all sat here and, you know, fight down from your cameraman to your, your, your guys who's working in the, in the stables and working hard, getting up at four or five o'clock, feeding horses and exercising horses. We're all there for the love of that animal. And we're not there part for those animals because we're all in a job because of those animals. So we, we look after them. We love them. We, we, we cherish them. You know, it's every, I mean, we had an old boy who, who, who I had to put down two days ago, two weeks ago from uh, an old trainer called... I mean, he'll hit me for saying old trainer, but he's retired now, Eric Wheeler. And it was a very good sprinter. He went on, he ran 198 times and he still wants to run to the day we put him down. But he, you know, he, we had to make that decision and we, we spoke about it. And he was in my kitchen and he was sobbing. Mm. You know, this, this is a guy of 80, you know, he's sobbing over his horses. And we do care about our horses. And it, it, it's, it's unfair when people go around and say, we don't care. They're just a number. They're not numbers. They are. But I've got an old horse I have, you know, he, I, I dread the day I have to put him down mm. or, you know, or, or make that decision for him. I never want it to happen, but it, 
you know, I'll, we have to do that, you know. Kim, you, I mean, you, you deal with it on a, on a weekly basis. You, you can lose horses on, on, at racing, you can, you can lose them in a field, you can lose them to, to freak incidents in a yard. Have, have, how have things changed in, in your time training welfare-wise? Is it, it, has the, the hands-on approach at home, has it had to change in any way? Is it just the perception of it that you think has changed? Has it, has it become more under the microscope? I think it's become more... I think social media has taken a really big, a, a big step forward in this situation. And whatever happens now, you know, if a horse goes and gets killed in the yard, everybody knows about it within seconds because all my staff you know, and everybody else's staff, they're on Facebook, they're on Twitter, they're on everything else. So, you know, it's very easy for them to report something that's happened before, you know, immediately it has happened. So a lot of things are happening now that, you know, you might not have heard of beforehand. And, and Gary's absolutely right. We do live for these horses. We do look after them. Um, unbelievably well, and they are treasured, treasured animals. You know, I've got a dog at home who's getting towards the end of his life, and that's going to be the hardest decision for me to put him down. Um, but we make that decision for him, and it's the same with horses. We can't do it with human beings. Um, and uh, it, it, it is always a difficult situation when you have to deal with animals. But unfortunately, the perception of how we look after our animals and what we do with them is, is a completely different concept. And people will always pick up on bad aspects. There's always going to be a bad apple somewhere along the line who does something they shouldn't go and do. I mean, that person does more harm to the sport than anybody else. Um, and 99.9% .9 of the people involved in, in racing and in the horse world love the animals. But I suppose as the body and the point that you've made, the, the BHA have to be seen to the outside world or outside of racing to react to certain instances. We had in the Commonwealth Cup the, the, the water being sprayed at the, yeah. the horse to, to ensure it went into the stalls, which I, I know, well, I don't know. Is that, is that a sort of accepted <clears throat> method or is that not something that would normally happen? It's, I mean, you can see this horse, you know, I mean, it's, he, he's, he's, but he's not touched the horse. He's, you know, he's tried to get the, the horse going forward. The horse isn't going forward. Mm. So a little bit, but then it's common sense here. This is we've got to bring common sense into the the, the, the thing. This horse is is going to run over a mile or whatever, and after the race, he's going to have eight nine buckets of water chucked over him. This is like a drop of water, which is to, to the animal is is, is like <clears throat> nothing, and we just they're chucking buckets of water over him. Um, it's the same as uh, anyone saw the incident when where the jockey uh, Raoul de Silva wasn't it? He, he yeah. bent over yeah. and he put a little bit of sand. And as it happened, my son was leading the horse in, and the horse was going anyway. But he was just—he's a jokey guy, and you know he picks up the and he chucks a bit of sand, and he gets a fine for it. But it's on all weather track. He's getting kicked back about ten ton in his face. And he's sort of, hang on a minute, you know, we've got to think, be some sort of, sort, of, sort of boundaries here, which is common sense. And this is where the common sense, there's rules, you're not allowed to do it. But, hey, well, don't do that again. You've been caught on TV or whatever. OK, end of. But it made our sport as if we've done something really bad. And it was, it was a mistake by the jockey, end of. And, and it should have been pulled into the side and said, look, you know, these it's, times the, the, As we said earlier, the, the, a lot of the practices in place, and that, they're very good examples, I think, that Gary's just given... It's then this micromanagement that comes off the back of it. It's four years ago, um, my last year, the, the, the beginning of the last year on, on Channel 4, we, we got presentation from the stewards. I'm sure it's happened to you on Racing UK, um, so that we're up to date with uh, the way they're looking at things. And then a lady came in at the end and said, just a few phrases to remember. Please don't say an animal's been put down. Say it's been euthanized. And I said, what? Mm. Don't, don't tell me how to communicate something that's been going on well, since time immemorial, I don't think I'm an insensitive person, but I'm certainly not using that word because you tell me from the BHA. It's that sort of micromanagement yeah, totally agree. that is, is unnecessary. You either trust the people you've got, don't interfere when there's no need to interfere. Mm.
Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albastiet Cruel Dubai. I hope you enjoyed our Luck on Sunday Best Bits podcast. Remember to subscribe or watch the show on Racing TV every Sunday from 9am.